So in our Bibles to Mark chapter 9, where Paul read for us earlier. Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, What is it that you disputed about when you were on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, and he served the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. And then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now John answered him, saying, Teacher, well, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbid him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him. For no one can work a miracle in my name and soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. And whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, assuredly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to stumble... It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he was thrown into the sea. This morning, as we continue to make our way through um, uh, Mark's gospel, it's just interesting to me how the Lord um, chose these ordinary guys and taught them the difference between the world's view of success and then the Lord's view of success. Here in Mark 9, even after this teaching, um, like us, they're not getting it. Because if you just turn the page to Mark 10, let me draw your attention to verse 35. This is just a couple days later. Mark 10, verse 35, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, uh, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, well, what do you want for me to do for you? And they said, well, grant us that we may sit one on your right hand and the other on your left hand. And Jesus said, you guys don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? He's speaking of his death here. And they said, we can. And they had no idea what they were saying. And Jesus said to him, well, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink and will be baptized with the baptism that I'll be baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left hand is not mine to give, but it is for those who whom it is prepared. And when the ten heard it, well, they became greatly displeased with James and John. But Jesus called them to himself and said to them, you know, that those who are considered rulers over their Gentiles, well, they lord it over them. And their great ones exercise authority over them. Yet, it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the sons of men did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. 
Now, the result of James and John pulling this little prank after just a couple days before the Lord says, laid it all out, you want to be great? So I've, I've titled this this morning, If You Want to Be Great. And as a result, if you go back to verse 41, <laughs> I can just see James and John. The other gospel tells us that they actually got mom to set this thing up. And now the result, because the other 10 were listening in when all this was going on, if you look at verse 41, when the 10 heard it, they began to be greatly displeased with James and John. The result of seeking the position, wanting the place of authority over others, uh, the result was division with the other 10. Now, I'm not like this, okay? But Jerry Crash is. And even though I'm not like this, Jerry actually thinks he's a better skier than I am. But the fact of the matter is I can ski circles around Jerry Crash. And I'm not competitive either, at all. But Jerry, on the other hand, is extremely competitive. And I've tried to talk to him over the years, but it's, it, you know, I'm hoping the Bible study will finally minister, if not to, to you, at least to him. Okay, can we go on now? I got that off my chest. <laughs> oh, am I going to hear about it later? <laughs> Jesus gives several examples of the study this morning. Let's begin by going back to uh, Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 5. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Well, then, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so Jesus called a little child to him and set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you're converted and become as a little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one of these little child like this in my name receives me. The difference between adults and children that are very, very young. I was uh, having breakfast at a local restaurant, and Grandma had the six-year-old out, the seven-year-old, somewhere in that range, evidently in first or second grade, and she's trying to strike up a conversation with, uh, with the grandchild. And she said, what's your favorite class? What do you like most? And he said, recess. <laughs> yeah, but what about school? No, I like to play. I like to have fun. What's your point, Dwight? This kid had no amb- ambition, aspirations of what he is going to be. And so I think what the Lord is saying here, if you really want to be great, what are you aspiring to? And he chooses a, a young little child whose greatest ambition in life is that recess would be at least a little bit longer than what it is. And so he's telling us, and by saying this, is children just don't have that ambition to want to lord it over anybody else, unless it's winning in their recess ball game, I suppose. So um, the New Testament teaching on this is um, very, very clear. And the example that the Lord laid out is one of a child. Become like a child. You want to be great in the kingdom? And whoever wants to be great in the kingdom of heaven and receives one of these little ones like me, well, he receives me. Let me give you the Old Testament, probably the best uh, example of self-ambition in the whole Bible um, is the story of 
Absalom's ambition. So I'm going to take you back this morning to 2 Samuel. I'll give you a moment to get there. Let's go to um, the end of chapter 13. It's going to take a little while to set this up. It's a lengthy story. I've uh, abbreviated it and uh, um, cut it down just a little bit. <clears throat> David, of course, um, had um, more than one wife. He had wives. And one of the offspring was that of Absalom. And if you go back to chapter 13, the last couple verses, <clears throat> Absalom had a sister whose name was Tamar. And he had a half-brother uh, named Ammon. And Ammon, uh, Ta- uh, Tamar was a gorgeous gal. And his half-brother Ammon fell in love with her, or at least lust with her. And um, he schemed and he connived. And one of his friends says, listen, this is what you need to do. Just pretend you're sick. And um, I'll go talk to David and I'll say, why don't you have Tamar go over and take care of him? Look, he's not feeling well. And have Tamar come over and just cook him a meal and serve it to him. So David falls for it. And he goes to um, 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 Absalom and, and he to Ammon and, and uh, has the servant take a meal over to um, Ammon by Tamar. Well, when he gets her in the house, he says, well, I'm not, I can't get out of bed. You've got to bring it in my bedroom. So he takes it in the bedroom, and as soon as the door is shut, uh, he assaults her, and um, he sexually abused her. And the Bible says that uh, when it was done and over, he put her out. And she's horrified. She's a virgin, and she's broken. And now the Bible said that he hated her more after the act than that he loved her before. And she had a coat of many colors. She ripped it, and she ran home to her brother Absalom. And Absalom picked up what was going on immediately. He said, who did this to you? And she says, it was Ammon. So Ammon and Absalom, Absalom is just biding his time to get even, to take out Ammon. And he does so. He says he's going to go on a trip, he's going to take some guys with him, and by the way, can Ammon come along with us? And when they get out of town, Absalom gives the word to his men, take him out, and his blood is on my head, you guys don't have to worry about a thing. And that's exactly what happened. But the word came back that all seven of David's brothers were killed. And David, uh, the king, uh, went into to great mourning at this time until he got word back, no, 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 that's not the way it happened. Only Amnon is dead. Everybody else is still alive. So that's sort of the background. If you go to verse 37, now it comes back, who's responsible for this? Well, the word is Absalom is responsible for this. So in verse 37 of chapter 13, but Absalom fled and went to Telme, uh, the son of Amahad, the king of Gersher, and David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom fled and went to Gesher, and he was there for three full years. And the king longed to go to Absalom, for now he had been comforted concerning Ammon because he was dead. Enough time had passed. Ammon um, is dead. David had let it go. And he just, he just wants to see his boy again. 
And so all of chapter 14 um, um, is Joab taking it into his own hands to get Absalom to come home. And it finally works. Absalom returns, but David, he only lets him go to his house, and David refuses to even see Absalom. So chapter 14, let me draw your attention to verse 33. I'm filling in the blanks here of this whole chapter. So Joab went to the king and told him, and when he had called for Absalom, he came to the king, now this is three years absent from his boy, and bowed himself on the face to the ground before the king, and then the king kissed Absalom. First six verses of now that Absalom has been restored to his father, we read after this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom would, would rise early and stand by the way to the gate. And so it was whenever anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision that Absalom would call to him and say, well, what city are you from? And he would say, your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. Absalom said, oh, would to say, look, your case is good. You got a good case, and it's right. But, but there is no duty of the king to hear you, deputy. Moreover, Absalom would say, oh, that I were made judge in the land, and everyone who had any suit or case would come to me. I'd give them justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near him to bow down to him, they would put out his hand and take him and kiss him, In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. In this verse, so Absalom stole the heart of the men of Israel. We we call that um, uh, brown nosing and try to get a person to come over to your way, schmoozing, if you would. And um, this is Absalom. And he has a plot, and he has a plan, and he's initiated it. And his goal through all this is actually to supplant David. He did, Absalom did whatever he had to, to get the throne. That includes killing his father if necessary. Now, in chapter 15, let's go to verse 13. And this, this puzzles me here, because when I think of David, um, you know, he had, I mean, he was a complete package. He was a man's man. He was a warrior's warrior. Saul is killed with thousands. David is tens of thousands. He was the best musician in the land. Saul said, who's the best musician in the land to comfort me when I'm troubled? They said, David of Bethlehem. So at this point, I'm, I, when I read this, it's hard to me to see fear in this man that I look up to so much. But nonetheless, the word was all of Israel is on Absalom's side and he is ready to come and take the throne by force. And so David actually leaves town. So I'm filling in the blanks. It says in verse end of verse um, 12 that Absalom sent for Ahipothel the Gibeonite, David's counselor. Now, David would later write a song, one of the Psalms about this man, Ahipothel. And he's talking about being brokenhearted. 
because this was not only a counselor, but one of David's best friends who had changed sides from David and is now with Absalom. He said, my heart is broken. If it would have been an enemy, it would have been fine. But this was my friend. This is the one I went to church with. This is the one I worshiped the Lord with. And that's who Ahipothel is here. And he had the wisdom, we're gonna read later, as if God was speaking himself. So now we read in verse 12, then Absalom sent for Ahipothel, the Gibeonite, David's counselor from his city, namely from Gihon, where he offered sacrifice. And the conspiracy grew stronger, for the people with Absalom continually increased in number. I'd like to get sidetracked big time with this guy and wonder why a friend, a good friend, um, would, would switch over that was so loyal. And David's gonna be so concerned about this, he's gonna send his own spy back into the camp. Um, this is not in my notes, but let me tell you what a root of bitterness can do. I believe a hypothil allowed a root of bitterness to grow against David. And the question is, well, what was the root of bitterness? When you research it carefully, you find out that um, Ahipothel had a granddaughter whose name was, who knows, Bathsheba. Now the clickers start to come together. And this had been festering and festering and festering. And now it's manifesting itself here. Verse 13, and a messenger came to David saying, the hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. So David said to his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, arise and let's run or else we will not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart. Let's go over and take uh, suddenly, unless disaster comes upon us, and they strike the city with the edge of the sword. And a king's servant said to the king, we are your servants ready to go wherever my lord the king commands. And then the king uh, went out, all of his household after him, but he left 10 women concubines to keep the house. So everybody that was with David went with David except for these 10 women. Now, let's go ahead to chapter 16 at this point. He's leaving. And again, to, to get the full picture, this might be one you want to go home and read this, um, the complete story. Now, Ahipothel is... Uh, uh, counseling Absalom, he's taken the city, and David is already almost to the Jordan River, but he hasn't crossed it yet. So in chapter 16, verse oh, 20, um, Absalom is asking um, Ahipothel, now what do I do? Well, what's your advice? So in verse 20, then Absalom said to Ahipothel, give counsel what we should do. And Ahipothel said to Absalom, I want you to go into your father's concubines, the ten that he left behind, whom he has left to keep the house, and all Israel will hear that you abhorred, are abhorred by your father. And then the hands of those who are with you will be strong. So, they go to the top of the house. They pitch a tent for Absalom on the top of the house. Absalom went into his father's concubines in sight of all of Israel. 
And the counsel of Ahipothel, which he gave in those days, was as if one had inquired at the oracle of God, so was all the counsel of Ahipothel, both with David and with Absalom. So the counsel that he gave to David at one time, he's now giving to his son. And by doing this act, it only strengthened even more the rebellion that was um, taking place. So, and that brings us to chapter 17, and we'll read the first seven verses. Moreover, Ahipothel said to Absalom, here's my counsel, you need to choose 12,000 men, and I will rise right now and I'll pursue David tonight. This has got to be done, it's got to be done quickly. And I'll come upon him while he's weary and weak and make him afraid. And all the people who are with him will flee, and I will strike only the king, and I'll bring back all the people to you. And let's just stop and remember why this is all happening. We have um, somebody who wants to be great by exalting himself, and here we have, he's willing to take it to whatever means, include killing David the king. And when all return, except the men whom you seek, then the people, then they'll be at peace. And the saying pleased Absalom and all the elders. They all said, Amen. And Absalom said, Now call Hushai, the archite. Now let me explain a little bit about Hushai. Hushai left with David. But he was also a counselor. And he says, Hushai, this is what I want you to do. I'm going to send you back. And I want you to go right up to Absalom and let him see you. And tell him, and he's going to be suspicious, what are you doing here, Hushai? You're one of David's guys. Not anymore. Obviously, you're the king, and I want to be on the winning side. And so I want to be here. I want to give you counsel and advice. So now he's asking, but he's a plant by David. Whatever he hears, he's told to go to Zadok the priest, who has two sons. So whatever Hushai hears that's going on between Absalom and Ahipothel, the word is going to get back to David. So now, Ahipothel says, we need to move. Take 12,000 men, get the job done, and do it quick. Now, you get, now Absalom says, well, call Hushai, the archite. I want to hear what he has to say. So when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom spoke to him, saying, Ahipothel has spoken in this matter. Shall we do as he says? If not, speak up. And Hushai said to Absalom, the counsel of Ahipothel, that he's given, it's not good at all. Not at this time. And he goes on to say, have you forgotten who David is? So he lays out the David that's in my mind's eye. Don't you realize his mighty men are with him? Don't you realize who you're talking about? You're talking about the, the most valiant man alive. And if you go, he's going to be like a bear robbed of his cubs. Verse, um, verse 8 and by the way, he's smart enough not to be with the men. He's off hiding someplace. So if you fall upon him, you might find the men, but you're not going to find David. He's too smart for that. And so um, verse 12, so we will, he says what we need to do is just be patient here. And this is what David needs because Ahipothel is right. But he's saying what we need to do is call all of Israel, not just 12,000 men. And when we get everybody together, then we make our move. And when we uh, go to the end of this, um, verse 13, moreover, 
If he has withdrawn into a city, then Israel will bring ropes to that city. He's talking about uh, if David hides, we'll just tear the city down. Verse 14, so Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the council of Hushai, the archite, is better than the council of Ahithophel. Now, Ahithophel knows exactly what's going to happen. And um, the, the rest of this story is he simply goes home and he takes himself out because he knows what's going to happen. Uh, read the, the rest of the chapter. So he's saying, not tonight. We need to gather all of Israel against David and then go. Now, the result of Absalom's ambition takes us to chapter 18. And um, the battle, when they have the battle, uh, was so much different in those, di- those days. They had thick oak forests um, in the land of Israel. And the battle takes place in the forests of Ephraim. And when you read the whole chapter, it says that more, just as many men died in the forest than actually died in fighting the battle. And in what happened when Absalom was tall, good-looking, he got his hair cut once a year. And when they weighed it, it weighed five pounds. Just imagine a five-pound bag of flour or sugar. And that's how much his hair weighed. So it says there was nobody better looking in all of Israel than, than Absalom. So we read in verse chapter 18, um, let's pick it up in verse 9. Absalom met the servants of David. Absalom, and he rode on a mule. And the mule went under a thick bough of a great, is an oak tree. And his head got caught in this tree. And he was hanging there between heaven and earth. Now, when David sent the men out, he knew he was going to win. He says, but when it comes to, to Absalom, listen up, he said, I don't want you to lay a finger on him. That's my son. He made a mistake, but nobody touched him. So the mule comes under him, and a certain man saw it and went and told Joab. Now, Joab is David's right-hand man. He would be general. He said, I saw Absalom hanging in this oak tree. So Job said to the man who told him, you saw him? Why didn't you strike him to the ground? I would have given you 10 shekels of silver and a belt. But the man said to Joab, though I were to receive a thousand talents of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king commanded you and Abishai and uh, Ittai, saying, beware, lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Otherwise, I would have dealt falsely against my own life. There is nothing hidden from the king, and you yourself would have set yourself against me. And Job said, I can't linger with you. He took three spears in his hand, and he thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the tree. And then ten young men who bore uh, Jacob's armor surrounded Absalom and struck him and killed him. Now, the results of um, Absalom's ambition. Um, He's become synonymous with, um, we use the terminology, well, the guy was just an Absalom, wanting to take, we've had several over the years try to do it to Chuck, and other ministries actually got started. Just a little history if you don't know. Um, 
oh, this was way back in 1981, um, there was a man who started the vineyards because he wanted to put signs and wonders above the teaching of the word. And um, Chuck wrote a letter. I still have the letter after all these years, 1981. And it went something like this. He says, well, there's some of you guys out there that are accusing me of quenching the Holy Spirit um, by not taking this stand where we put the emphasis on miracles and signs and wonders rather than the teaching of the word. And he came right out and said, um, you know, if, if you feel this way, um, I want to give you um, the left foot of fellowship. <laughs> and he said, if you desire to do this, then you should associate with um, groups, and he named certain Pentecostal groups that put the emphasis on that rather than the teaching of the word. And he says, I encourage you, but do not, and he emphasized, do not call yourself Calvary Chapel because our emphasis is upon teaching the Bible chapter by chapter and, and to keep it, keep it simply. And then Chuck says, that comes first. And yes, there will be signs and wonders, but that's secondary. Good place for an amen. And that's who we are. And um, um, we called the gentleman that started that movement, that he was so open about it, he, he was called Absalom because he wanted, he wanted Chuck's position. And uh, he was very, very vocal about it and very, very open about it. But th- what is the end result of it? Well, the same guy that did that to Chuck's no longer here. He died. The movement pretty much fills it all. The vineyards, are, there are some out there, but not many. And um, we find here the result of Absalom's obsession to take the, his father's throne only led to his own death. Not content just to be David's son. With all that he had going for him, here he is, the son. This leads me to the question. Very simple question. Paul writing to the Philippians. Are you content this morning with your lot? Whatever your lot in life is, are you satisfied? Are you content? That, you don't, I'm not asking for a show of hands. I'm just asking a question. Paul says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned. This is the learning process. I've learned whatever state I'm in, even if it's Wisconsin and snowing, <laughs> to be content. And um, let's go back to, to Luke uh, chapter 14 for a couple more New Testament examples. Luke chapter 14, Jesus told a parable about the ambitious guest. In other words, somebody who wants to be noticed because he's not content. And so in Luke chapter 14, he tells a parable of the ambitious guest, 7 through 14. So he told a parable of those who were invited, and when he noted how they chose the best place, saying to them, now when you're invited by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you and him come and say to you, uh, you need to give place to this man, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you're invited, go and sit down in the lowest place, so that when he who invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, come on up here. Uh, uh, Come up higher. And then you will have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. 
And then verse 11, for whoever exalts himself will be abased. Again, the best example that I can think of is Absalom. Whoever exalts himself will be abased, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Then he said to him who invited, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends or your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But invite those who can't pay it back. And um, and that is uh, the Lord's instruction example with there. Let me give you one more example from Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 I like to call Simon a source of the big man on campus. Um, revival has broken out in uh, the, the uh, cities of Samaria, and um, Philip was doing uh, miracles. Verse 7 says, unclean spirits came out. Revival. Revival was breaking out in Samaria. And as a result, verse 8 says, there was great joy in the city, but... There was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery, Simon the sorcerer, in the city and and astonished the people of Samaria claiming that he was someone great to whom all gave heed from the least to the greatest saying, this man, Simon, is a great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorcery for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. So the gospel is presented, people are getting saved, people are getting baptized, and Simon's taking us all in. He's watching us. And Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, because he's amazed seeing the miracles and the signs which were done. Notice the order. Preaching the gospel, People get saved, they're baptized, and then the signs and the wonders continued continued afterwards. But when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now this is a very important verse in the whole Bible study within itself that I don't have time to get into. For it says, for as yet he had fallen upon none of them. Well, wait a second here. They believed and they were baptized. Question, are they saved at this point? And some, of of course, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. But here we have an example of being saved and baptized, but not yet baptized with the Holy Spirit. We at Calvary Chapel believe in two baptisms. Baptism, John said, I baptize you with water, but there comes one after me who will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. Good place for an amen. There are a lot of people today that believe, well, I receive the Holy Spirit when I accept Jesus into into your heart. Well, that can happen. Uh, The way it happened with me, I was baptized in, in water and filled with the Holy Spirit all at the same time. However, my friend Pat went a good couple years of being saved but never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He has now. So verse 16 again. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw 
that through laying on of the apostles' hand, the Holy Spirit was given to him, he went up to Peter and John and said, here's 20 bucks. Why don't you show me how to do that? Dwight's translation. Verse 19, give me this power also that anyone who I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when a person gets saved, like Simon, they had a position of prominence or a position of authority. And then they come to Christ. And we start having Bible studies like this and um, they have an attitude of wanting to be served and to be noticed rather than to be a servant. The Lord just takes the whole thing and turns it upside down. And so the heart of this man is coming, coming out at this point. He wants to, because at one time he had this position, well, he wants it back again. He wants people to look up to him. But Peter rebukes him straight out, verse 20. But Peter said to him, look, your money's gonna perish with you because you thought the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this manner. Your heart is not right in the sight of God. You need to repent, therefore, of this wickedness. Well, what was this wickedness? He wanted to be the big man on campus again. He wanted to be able to do what Peter and John were doing. And let me just do a little sidetrack here. Um, In 1 Corinthians, if you're taking notes, chapter 14, the whole chapter is about the use and misuse primarily of the gift of tongues and how it should be used in operation. But in verse 12, it includes all the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And this is what it says, 1 Corinthians 14, 12. Even so you, it's not wrong to desire spiritual gifts, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, you need to understand this first, that it is for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Well, what does that mean? That means if you really want um, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, you have to have this understanding. You only get it if you're willing to use it to build up somebody other than yourself. And then in verse 14, there's one exception. 1 Corinthians 14, 4, if you're taking notes. He who speaks in tongues edifies himself, but he who prophesies, these are the rest of the gifts without exception, are given to build up somebody else. So why is Peter rebuking Simon? He only wants this gift because he wants to be the big man on campus again. And Peter rebukes him openly. He says, repent therefore of of your wickedness and pray God if perhaps the thoughts of your heart might be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness. Now it's really self-ambition. And you're bound by iniquity. You're seeking the glory. And then Simon answered and said, well, pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. So when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many villages of the Samaritan. So Simon was put aside. I often wonder what happened to him. We don't read about him again, but he um, uh, was openly rebuked there. In closing... Um, let me ask a couple of questions as we close. First one is twofold. What are you aspiring for this morning? Just be honest in your heart. Say, Lord, here's, here I am. I'm sitting in church. And Dwight's asked me to open my heart and be open before you. He, by the way, he already knows. 
<laughs> the question is, do you? So what are you aspiring for? What is your ambition? Well, what does God's word have to say about this? Well, Psalm 27 verse four, if you're taking notes, is the answer. One thing, one thing I have desired of the Lord, and that's what I'm gonna seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Jesus says, Matthew six, if you'll put me first, if you seek first my kingdom, I'll take care of everything else. Today I gave a great Bible study at men's, uh, at the stake and study. It was all in just the love of God. And he says, guys, it's this simple. If you love Jesus first, everything else will take care of yourself, including your marriage or, or, or whatever. If you love Jesus first, that's gonna naturally fall into place. Good place for an amen. <laughs> and the question is, is that really in our first place? Men are, are a little bit different than gals in this sense. So we actually... Um, many times um, identify our self-worth by what we do. Well, what do you do? Well, I'm this or this or this. Instead of saying, well, I'm a Christian. <laughs> that usually doesn't come up. I say, well, well, what do you do? Well, I'm a Christian. What, what, are, you, what are you aspiring for? Oh, um, that I might dwell. That's the one thing I desire to be with the Lord in his house with his people. Number two is... Uh, that was written by David, by the way. Um, the sons of Korah wrote this as far as ambition. Psalm 84.10 says, For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper or an usher. Let's put it that way. I'd rather be an usher in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Just let me do anything. And um, I, I have to admit, I was impressed with the amount of men that were serving behind the scenes for the stake and study. Patty had it right, you know, the, the servants behind the scene that, that nobody sees. And I, I, mean, I was looking around, I'm just seeing who they are because they're smart. And um, the last one that we have as an example, and I'll close with this. Somebody's saying, Dwight, you said to close with that twice already. So let's go to the Gospel of John chapter 13. This is really the last one. John chapter 13. And I'll preface this last teaching of the Lord with this question. And again, just be honest in your own heart. It's a simple question. Are you happy? That's a simple question. Are you happy? Are you a happy camper? Are you happy and are you content? And if not, and your answer to that question is, morning, I gotta be honest, I'm not a happy man or I'm not a happy woman. Next part of it is, do you wanna be? Now let's read the story. John 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, and Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God, and he was going to God. He rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, girded himself, and after that he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Now, this is customary. 
If you went into anybody's house, it was the servant's job before you track up the rest of the house, they would sit you down, they would wash your feet, and then you could make yourself at home in the house. And this was a custom that the servants did. And um, verse six, he comes, and after that he poured water in a basin began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel which he was girded. Verse six. And then he came to Simon Peter. And Peter said, Lord, are you washing my feet? Um, You're not gonna wash my feet. And Jesus said to him, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after this. Peter says, you're never gonna wash my feet. And Jesus said, well then Peter, if I don't wash your feet, I guess you don't have any part with me. And then Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but give me my hands and my head. Give me the whole deal, give me a shower. And Jesus said, he who has bathed needs only to have his feet washed, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said it, you are not all clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garment and sat down again, he said to them, do you guys know what I've done to you? And he said, you call me teacher and you call me Lord. And you are right. You say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. And most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. Now, if you know these things, guys, it's pretty... Simple study what we have here. Do you want to be great? The Lord's saying, if you know these things, and if you want to be great, then he says, be servant of all. And if you do these things, the Lord says, you'll be happy. Happy are you if you learn really what it's all about in being a Christian. And that is um, being the servant of all and looking for opportunities to serve. Not like Simon for the wrong motive, so that he would be noticed and, and um, God will share his glory with no one. Another good place for an amen. But those, he's keeping track. He says, if you give just a glass of water, you say, here, want a glass of water? I'll give it to you in Jesus' name. He says, you'll in no wise lose your reward. Well, what does that mean? The Lord says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing when you do a good work. Because your heavenly father is watching the whole thing and he's a good record keeper. And he who does it in secret is going to have his reward someday openly. That's what 1 Corinthians 3 is all about. The judgment seat of Christ is not the judgment of your life. It's reward day. They call it the Bemis seat. And all those things that you've done that you thought, well, nobody knows about them. Oh, yeah, the Lord knows about them. And uh, payday is coming if you, if you understand um, wherever your heart is, what the, the Lord say, that's where your treasure will be also. You want to be happy? Learn to be the servant of all. Leave it at that. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. As we make our way through John, our mark this morning, we see James and John used as an example of self-ambition and all it really brought was strife. We see a man who had everything in Absalom 
including being the king's kid, extremely good-looking, and yet his selfish ambition of wanting his own father's throne um, led to his own death. And his name is synonymous with people trying to um, weasel their way into a position of prominence. Lord, help us take to heart your example of being um, people that are willing to do whatever needs to be done. We thank you, Lord, because you told us that the mind that is in you is to be also in us. So help us. If you came to serve, Lord, help us do the same. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.